Tonight, I wanted to talk about an aspect of our experience that seems to cause us a lot of struggle, pain, um, is difficult, and it is challenging. And this is the world of thought. (laughs) On one hand, thoughts are a natural process of the mind. Something we are, we need in our life is helpful, useful, something we are often trained in, you know, uh, through our schooling, our education, we learn, you know, how to use thought. Uh, there's a lot of value in the culture. And yet, when we live our lives, when we practice, we often find that this faculty of thinking causes an immense amount of pain, that there is so much connected with it. There, you know, there's the stories of our lives. We remember these all the time. And, you know, events that happened when we were a small child, things that happened beliefs we had then can still impact us in this moment. And these thoughts were most likely based in delusion, weren't true to begin with, and yet can be held in such a way that they influence, have an effect in this very moment. We have the stories of who we are, what we've done, what we believe ourselves to be capable of. There's something about thoughts that reminds me of a spider and its web. And that, you know, we get in these chain of thoughts and it's like it's spinning this web and it spins and and spins it. Only the webs that we spin become like a prison. We're imprisoned within it because we can't see clearly. We've believed so many of these thoughts. We've taken them to be truth and become trapped in them, imprisoned. And, you know, sitting here at times, the mind seems so relentless in its capacity to think that we get obsessed by themes, by, by going into the past, things that have happened, going into the imaginary future. You know, I've watched just the play in my own mind on retreat, you know, when it would go to the past, and it would start reliving these experiences as if it could get it right, you know, as if it could be changed. And it would just keep going back there. And then there would be the future, the imaginary future, what's going to come to be. You know, imagining conversations, events, as if they are true. Planning, you know, just this incessant desire to plan the next step, the next thing we're going to do. 
And then coming to practice. I mean, one of, you know, before meditation, I just had no idea how much this mind likes to think and how many stories it believes. And then coming to meditation and just seeing this over and over. And, you know, it becomes so clear. I I don't know about you, but I've had the most ridiculous thoughts. (laughs) Absurd. And you think, where does this stuff come from? You know, and we hear everything is conditioned, and you just got to wonder, what were the conditions? (laughs) One teacher at IMS, and I, I don't know who this was the first person who said it, but it's just so true. The mind has no shame. It will think anything. And, you know, I was amazed to see, like, in this whole thinking process, so, you know, there's one level of story, and then you come to practice, you start to see that, maybe there's a little bit more space with it, but then the story starts to incorporate into how we're practicing, how we're doing this. You know, the, it could be the story of my breath. The, you know, the, how the breath should be, you know, big, full, rich. Oh, but it isn't, you know. Oh, 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 oh. we're in trouble now. Anxiety, fear. You know, uh, it's just... And then there comes about our ability to practice, the whole story about that. You know, and I've just watched in my own mind, heard from others how, you know, well... I just can't do it. I don't seem capable. Uh, It must have been because of what happened when I was a child. You know, I really didn't get the love that I needed. I didn't get positive reinforcement. You know, and it's just, you know, it's a whole other avenue of story. And then, you know, I started to see at some point these grosser thoughts a little bit more quiet. But then there was really the, the story of this breath, what the breath was doing. You know, this little commentary about, oh, it's full, it's rich. Oh, oh, look at the, you know, look at that, look at this. And it's just a little chat, 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 rather than really being in touch with the direct experience, the process that's happening. And, you know, it's like just through practice, we begin to see all of these different ways that the thinking mind manifests. And, you know, for many of us, at first, it's discouraging. We think there's something wrong. We think there's a failing. You know that so many. I, th- I think it's been mentioned, um, but it's always worth repeating that there's this deep-seated idea that if we're meditating right, thoughts won't arise, and so then it's a sign of failure that these stories keep arising. And there also becomes a way of relating to thoughts from the place of aversion, wanting to get rid of. You know, it becomes a fuel for our practice to concentrate, be more focused so that thoughts can't arise. And, you know, that's a very limited and painful way to practice. Because we really want to know the mind as it is. We really want to look into what's happening. And the mind does many things. Sometimes the mind is active. There is many thoughts. Sometimes it's quiet. It's still. 
being aware of both. Knowing mind in its activity. Knowing mind in its stillness. What we really notice in practice is how much power we've given to these thoughts, how much power we give to the story. We give to our ideas, beliefs, views. You know, these are all made up of these thoughts. We really start to get a sense of that power through feeling the weightiness of them really getting in touch with the effect that they have. We begin to see that when some thought is identified with, is believed in, that it can cause immense suffering. I'd like to share a teaching from a woman named Byron Katie who was once so severely depressed in her life that she was bedridden and suicidal. And this is something she saw in her own mind. I discovered that when I believed my thoughts, I suffered, but that when I didn't believe them, I didn't suffer, and that this is true for every human being. Freedom is as simple as that. I found that suffering is optional. I found a joy within that has never disappeared, not for a single moment. That joy is in everyone, always. The suffering that comes because of identification with thoughts becomes a piece of our practice. To really see this in our own experience. No, it's not enough to hear it. But we can know it in any moment where that identification happens. I remember going into one of my teachers and exclaiming, thoughts have weight, thoughts have weight. It was this seeing that, you know, if a thought comes along, it's believed in, it has an impact, it has an effect. You know, when we find in the mind that there's a lot of thoughts about fear, and they're believed in, we actually start to create a reality that will prove that fear to be true. It's kind of shocking to see that in one's own experience. In just a moment of seeing a thought that is filled with fear, just to pause and feel that. Be mindful. Be aware. 
it becomes informative. You know, it's a... In one way, we're doing a really simple thing in our lives. You know, really just learning to see things as they are. To not be fooled by these thoughts, these appearances. And these moments of mindfulness, these moments where there is just that simple recognition of what's transpiring. I remember, you know, being on retreat and I started, I was sitting at night, it was well into the night and the place was very quiet. I started to experience some pain in my chest. And, you know, the, th- the thoughts about what was happening became so strong. You know, a heart attack. Uh, and, you know, with, with each thought that was identified with, the tightening got stronger and stronger. And then suddenly there was just the recognition in the mind. It's just a thought. And when that was recognized, the whole thing popped. And the pain disappeared. And you know, this isn't trying to set up that we want you to sit through heart attacks. But <laughs> this was a case where that there was thoughts being identified with that created fear, that created tension, tightening. The reality got stronger the more the thoughts were identified with. And then just in the scene, that it was just a thought, the whole thing let go. And really... This letting go is the basis of being with thoughts. That we don't have to believe. We don't have to identify. We can trust in awareness. Somewhere we think if we trust in awareness, we're going to be stupid. Know that we won't have the capacity to respond with wisdom. And this is just not true. This wisdom... You know, if we, if we can allow awareness, stabilize awareness, it really helps the mind to see that which needs to be let go of, that which is obstructing, that which is causes suffering. And, you know, we see it deeply. We feel it deeply. Wisdom kicks in. Letting go happens. And we don't do that. It's wisdom that lets go. Because it knows. It knows. You know, it's like seeing that whole process of identification. How, you know, when it's my thought, my story, my experience, it becomes binding, limiting, heavy. But we, you know, if we practice turning towards awareness, letting these thoughts be just like clouds in the sky. And, you know, there is, there's, there's different kinds of thoughts that come along. Some will be dark, heavy. Some will be like light, fluffy clouds. But just really getting a sense of relating to them from the place of awareness recognizing, knowing. But there is a lot tied up in these thoughts because, you know, the emotions get connected. 
the our our wound the wounding that's happened from the past, what we are carrying. And sometimes it's really hard to trust that it can be so simple. We think that we really need to do something with this stuff. And, you know, actually in times in therapy, that can be useful, helpful. But when we're on retreat, when we're practicing in the way we are here, we're wanting to see things from the level of dhammas, to see things in their nature. And this is where we let the mind go to its natural wisdom. We, we, we turn towards awareness, resting there, letting these clouds be, and knowing, resting in that knowing. When we pay attention to thoughts, we see that there's a couple of things that commonly happen. One is that thoughts disappear when recognized. You know, they're impermanent nature, insubstantial nature. It drives some yogis crazy. You know, they, they want something to hang on to in their thought, want some substance, and yet it's just shoom. It goes. Sometimes that's the experience we crave. You know, we just want to be able to see every thought and have it disappear. And our attitude becomes colored by wanting. It needs to be recognized. Sometimes when there's awareness of thinking, the thoughts will continue. They'll keep going. But awareness can be there. And, you know, this is very much like an old man or old woman, (laughs) somebody (laughs) with some wisdom (laughs) sitting on a bench and watching children play and just has the capacity to watch them play they do their thing, but is not caught up in these thoughts. I've discovered that many people think this isn't possible because we so often get seduced by our thoughts. But I'd like for us just to do a simple exercise right now just as a way of exploring this capacity to be aware of the thinking mind. So just sitting, being simple with experience, being aware, sensations in the body, the breath, 
Noticing the atmosphere of the mind. Just awareness of any thoughts as they occur. And then, for a few moments, we are going to bring our attention to the generating of thoughts. For this period of time, you have complete permission to think. And as you think, you just want to keep noticing every thought that comes into the mind And when one thought ends, generate a new thought. Doesn't matter what the thoughts are, just keep thinking and being aware of thinking. The thoughts can be about anything. I don't like this. I hate this. (laughs) This is odd. What are we doing this for? I hope this ends soon. Just keep thinking. It doesn't matter. Generating thought after thought. And then letting the thoughts go. Was there any awareness of the difference between being mindful of the thought and the thought that was being generated? These thoughts, learning to recognize, to be aware of, resting in that awareness of, we find the freedom from the thoughts when we're not caught in the level of content, but aware of the process. It becomes a huge shift out of the story of our lives into the stream of life. It's a radical shift. I've just noticed so many times in my own mind, you know, whether sitting or walking, whatever I'm doing, just that place where when a a thought is identified with and we're caught in the believing of it, the whole rest of the world disappears. 
know, one of the ways I worked with this was, you know, outside walking and just being aware of seeing as I walked. And th- there would be seeing, you know, just that, that, that meeting the sense door of sight, awareness of that. And then some thought would come along and boom, the scene just completely gone. And, it, you know, it just becomes this whole world system that's there when it's not recognized. But it's so different when it's recognized. This is from Sayada Utejaniya, the Burmese teacher that um, I've recently been doing a fair bit of practice with. He says, when the mind is thinking or wandering, when a sound keeps catching your attention, just be aware of it. Thinking is a natural activity of the mind. It is natural that if you have good hearing, you will hear sounds. You are doing well if you know that you are aware that the mind is thinking or hearing. But if you feel disturbed by thoughts or sounds, or if you have a reaction or judgment to them, there is a problem with your attitude. The wandering mind and sounds are not the problem. Your attitude that they should not be around is the problem. So understand that you have just become aware of some functions of the mind. These two are just objects for your attention. It's interesting with the wandering mind. You know that when we notice that the mind has been wandering, that there is tendency right there to have an attitude about it, you know, to be judgmental, to be hard on ourselves, to think, oh, you know, I was lost for so long. And we just gloss right over the fact that mindfulness has occurred. Recognition has occurred. You know, just kind of, <laughs> it's like that tendency to pick your scabs, <laughs> to look for what's wrong. Can we celebrate these moments where mindfulness is present, where there is recognition? And, you know, the more we can just rest in that. And, yeah, the mind gets lost again, but we come back. Not To say come back is not quite right. Recognition happens again. No, just a recognition of what is occurring. Getting used to the idea that the mind thinks that there is this movement of mind This is a teaching from another one of my teachers, Sony Rinpoche. He says, These discursive thoughts come and go, come and go, but this is nothing. It's just the nature of the journey. In fact, it's just like a highway with a lot of cars going backwards and forwards on it. You can't hold on to the cars even if you wanted to. And likewise, our mind has a lot of discursive thoughts coming and going all the time, and you can't hold on to them either. If you get lost in grasping at them, that's not good. 
If you do not get lost in grasping at them, that is good. If you want to know what is good and not good, it's not whether thoughts arise or not, it's whether you grasp them or not. In brief, whatever cup comes up in the mind is all right. The point is to be completely free of fixation and grasping. For example, if you think, I am going to kill Sokni Rinpoche, that is nothing in itself. But if you get involved in it, in a heavy train of thought, in which you fixate on those thoughts, then that is not at all right. (laughs) Apart from that, whatever comes up is fine. It is the mind's quality to produce thoughts, and it will produce some truly rotten thoughts and some truly wonderful thoughts. This is the whole of samsara. So the thought isn't the problem. It's the owning of the thought that is the problem. The way that thoughts work is that at first they are very subtle, and then if you keep developing them, they get thicker and thicker until finally they become something you don't like. At first there is a very small aversion to it, which then, because you continue to think about it, turns into anger which grows until in the end you strike out at the thing you don't like. So let go when it first appears. A real practitioner practices that way. There's actually really a lot in that teaching. Thoughts, not the problem. The identification with. You know, and this is what we see over and over. This is what we're learning to pay attention to, to feel the pain of, to feel the suffering in, to see the ways we take possession of that which is naturally appearing phenomena arising due to causes and conditions. Not fixating. Letting the mind be like this highway. But being aware. Another description I once heard him give was to be like a a hotel doorman. And you greet whoever appears, but you don't follow after. I mean, our tendency is to follow after but seeing if we can simply greet, be with, know. Be intimate with these thoughts, not the content. One of the ways that I found the intimacy was, you know, that helped me to stay on the level of process was a felt sense of that thought. And thoughts, you know, to know they appear in different ways. You know, sometimes thoughts appear as images. Sometimes uh, thoughts appear as words. Sometimes thoughts might appear as a song in the mind. And sometimes, you know, it's like a sense impression. There's, you know, a texture to it. Um, And, you know, sometimes thoughts are really gross, and sometimes they're very subtle. 
I remember at one time just noticing in my experience that there'd be this sense that there wasn't this connection with experience. And then I'd notice that was because there was a thought about the experience. You know, conceptual mind was there, but not being recognized. No point trying to get rid of the conceptual mind. You know, that the mind does this thing of naming, labeling, categorizing. Um, It's something it does, but we just need to see it as it is, for what it is. Not being afraid of our thoughts. I mean, we become afraid of our thoughts because we have suffered so much in the face of. You know, that they have caused immense pain in our lives. But when we turn to this refuge of awareness and keep turning there and really keep stabilizing with awareness, we really see they don't have that power that we think they do. Really remember they're a natural function. You know, just like all of the sense doors have a function. You know, the eyes see, the nose smells, the tongue tastes, the mind thinks. Just investigating your own attitude around that. Is that okay? If we try and get rid of it, what happens? <laughs> a lot more thinking. You know, it's like, like, you tell your mind, okay, don't think now. And the rebellious teenager comes out. <laughs> yeah. It's just the way it is. So really, and that attitude of not thinking, the idea of not thinking can be so subtle. I was so surprised at one point where I really thought I was okay with the fact that the mind thinks. And then, you know, this thing of uh, being aware of thoughts and they disappear? Well, I just noticed this little bit of annihilation that was there. Actually, I was really happy to see that. Because it was there operating without any awareness of it. And this is, again, awareness purifies because we see, we see, we see the effect of. Just naturally purifies. There will be the obsessive thoughts where there is some deep karmic knot around. And actually sometimes the obsessive thoughts are pretty mundane. (laughs) I've noticed this on long retreats where maybe in the beginning some issues in life come up. And then in the middle, the thoughts that I would obsess around you know, maybe someone suggested that I do my yogi job a little bit differently. Oh, oh my 
my God, <laughs> that could keep me going for days, <laughs> you know. And it would be, you know, just what. And it would, really wouldn't matter. It could be somebody, my gaze happening to meet somebody else's gaze, and whoop, some idea of what they thought of me, and boom, off the mind would go. And it would just spin around and around and keep coming back to over and over again. But sometimes it is connected with things that have been repetitive in our lives. You know, (laughs) on the first level, to know it can be simple. Because we're not trying to fix things. We're really just trying to see things as they are. And that seeing holds within it the healing. Always for me, it's in the first instance, keep it as simple as you can. But in the listening to that experience, this is where we will really get a sense of cause and effect. We will begin to see that, you know, if there's somebody whom we have a lot of anger towards, and we sit and we, you know, visualize them, and we think, angry thoughts towards them, that this can just build a huge momentum and just creates this whole cloud in the mind, creates a rage in the mind. We can, through listening to these obsessive thoughts, get really get a sense of how thoughts and emotions become tied together, how thoughts can fuel different mind states and how when a mind state is predominant there can be a certain pattern to the thinking and we just see that you know it again just brings a little bit more information to the mind a little bit more understanding of what's happening but you know doing so not from a harsh place not from uh, a grim place. It's like really just that sense of listening. What's happening here? And in a certain way, like when there's obsessive thinking, there is something that the mind is hooking into, is that keeps pulling it back. And sometimes, you know, just to see it on the level of thought, the hook remains. And so, you know, just that sense of listening a little bit from a little bit different angle. You know, so if there is a mind state under there that's fueling it. And, you know, if you're really stuck in it, be stuck. But be as aware as you can. You know, bring these moments of mindfulness and this is where you're going to find out about identification. Learn from it. Really let it speak to you. 
And this is where honesty comes in. I spoke about this yesterday morning in the reflection. That willingness to let it be what it is. We don't have to define ourselves by it. But if we can sit in the place of honesty, just, you know, calling a spade a spade, knowing something for what it is. No, we don't like to see certain patterns. It doesn't flatter our image of ourselves. But what's to hold on to in that image? And what's the power of that moment of honesty, of really just seeing what's there? We find strong patterns of thought around the judging mind, you know, the continually evaluating, whether it's judging ourselves, judging others. Seldom do we stop to feel the pain of that. Seldom are we really in touch judgment tends to deflect. It's a way of pushing to the side. And we don't feel that disconnect. We don't feel the pain of that. And this is again where we let, let the thought be felt rather than being in the content. Just the impression, the level of process, and not taking it to be self. Can we really know this as the experience of judging, the judging mind? What happens? The nature of the judging mind. Sometimes thoughts are really quite subtle and we just might experience them as more of an impulse in the mind, more of an energetic that might just disappear. Come in many, many forms. Just seeing them. And really noticing the difference between being lost in thought and recognizing that thinking is occurring. Chanel, a Korean Zen master from the 11th century, says, Do not be afraid of your thoughts. Only take care, lest your awareness of them be tardy. In our practice, having this play between 
being aware of thinking and the identification, learning from it, watching. I, you know, one time I was at the, experiencing this obsessive thinking. You know, kept going, mind kept going to the same fantasy over and over again. And, you know, it, then there just came that moment of, what is going on here? And there was just this age-old scene of there was something pleasant in that fantasy. You know, and it was just like that fish going for the hook again and again and again. But when that was seen, you know, when we see what's happening in that movement, that's wisdom comes in, knows what to do. Not being discouraged. I remember saying once to one of my teachers too, wow, it's like there's just this cloud bank of thoughts. No, there's just so many of them. But each thought being recognized. Mind is undisturbed. Mind isn't clouded by it. The terrain changes. The experience changes. But the awareness can still be there. When the mind is undistracted. Actually, there's a a story from Minjur Rinpoche another one of my teachers, <laughs> he was uh, talking about how he went to a um, retreat house in Nova Scotia that was by the ocean. And he arrived there on a beautiful sunny day. And the, the sky was cloud, cloudless and the ocean was very deep and clear and blue. And it was you know, very pleasant. And then he went to bed, and he got up in the morning, and he looked down at the ocean, and it was like this thick, muddy soup. And you know, he looked at it, and he was kind of puzzled by what had happened, because yesterday it had been so clear and so blue. And so he went down to the shore, and he saw that there was nothing, no obvious change. It wasn't like there was a lot of mud, mud on the, the side of the on the shoreline or in the water. Um, And then he looked up at the sky and he saw that it was thick and a darkish green in color. And, you know, he just recognized that when he looked closely at the water, it was still clear. And that's awareness is clear. Awareness isn't muddied by these thoughts. Can we trust in that? Can we really let awareness be the refuge? And, you know, doing as Sony Rinpoche says, you know, just, if we just see them without fixating, they don't turn into this web that binds us this web of delusion. We just see them in their nature. They lose their power. 
Let it be simple. This is what the great masters have discovered. There is, you know, the Buddha does talk about different ways of working when we get strongly entrenched in, in, in these thought forms, when we get strongly identified. You know, there is very simple things one can do. And yet, you know, what I've seen in my own experience is many times what that triggers in my mind is always looking towards what I can do in practice. How I can fix it. How I can change it. How I can get it perfect. So... I am going to briefly mention a couple of of his skillful means, but I want to really try and reinforce to this aspect of simplicity and this refuge of awareness and trusting in that, really staying steady in that. And then when it's just this sense of being completely immersed in some thought form, some belief. You may also remember some of these skillful means. The first is to replace unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts. So maybe there's attachment that is strongly presenting itself. And we keep thinking but wanting something, you know, can be simple. Uh, just some aspect of, um, you know, what's for lunch, wanting something for lunch. But the mind keeps going to it over and over again. Just to reflect on impermanence. You know, to reflect that even if we get what we want, this too will pass. Another aspect of this could be in moments when anger is really entrenched. Thoughts of anger strong, sticky. To turn the mind towards loving kindness, whether it's just that sense of softening or whether it's just bringing in thoughts of loving kindness. Buddha likened this to a carpenter who might knock out, remove, and extract a coarse peg by means of a fine one. So the first means replacing unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts. The the second means is to reflect upon the faults of the disturbing thought. So if we're having angry thoughts, 
to reflect for a moment on the pain. I mean, we can see that in our experience right there, the suffering that comes from identifying with these thoughts. And how much worse that would be if we were to act from a place of these thoughts. How, how much harm comes from that. This helps to bring about the energy in the mind to let go, to see, because we've understood about the suffering. And Buddha likened this process to a person being fond of ornaments and then becoming horrified, humiliated, and disgusted to discover that they had the carcass of a snake or a dog or human being around their neck. You know, many times we just fail to see that which we are adorning the mind with and the pain of that. You know, we, we just fail to see that. And he says, the thoughts still keep arising. Forget these thoughts. Don't give them any attention. You know, and sometimes like that's like the sword of wisdom. The same thought keeps coming up over and over, and it keeps leading to the same dead end. And then, you know, the sword of wisdom suddenly says, don't go there. You know, just don't go there. And that, you know, at times might mean that if there's something that's really triggering us and keep getting caught... uh, that we don't let the mind go there. Um, you know, that's like if there's somebody who really perturbs us, instead of standing and just facing them all the time, we don't go near them. Not as a, me- a means that we're always going to turn to, but needing to find the balance in the mind. The Buddha described this as being like a person with good eyes who does not want to see forms that come within their range of sight. They either shut their eyes or look away. Remembering this is not in the first instance, but when something's really been sticky. Just a few ways, a few skillful means. But really, letting awareness be the refuge, the seeing, the knowing of these thoughts. I'd like to close with a teaching called Letting Be. It's from Songsan Gampo, who was the first Dharma king of Tibet. All your thinking is conceptual mind. So give up the doing of this mind and rest. 
and as rest is also just a word, giving up, give up holding onto words and let be. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.